This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew 1, 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because, her, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had told him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. For the word of God in Scripture for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Well, it is one week until Christmas. I hear the cheers. You guys are excited. I just can, I can feel the enthusiasm. Can't wait. Yeah, you know, you can be a little bit ambivalent. Maybe that means it's a busy time. Office parties, family gatherings, funny schedules, shopping that you kind of wish you didn't have to do, that kind of stuff. But when you're a child, nothing beats Christmas morning. Nothing beats Christmas morning. Waking up and seeing what's under the tree and seeing perhaps what Santa brought your way. When our kids were a little bit younger, we lived in a house, a little two-story house, and had wood stairwell coming down and uh, the wood banister and I remember I think when Henry and Winston were maybe six and seven or five and six and Charles was maybe three and remember we were downstairs by the tree and I heard the kids wake up and I could hear their little padded feet on the steps you know they had their little footy jammies on and they come padding down the stairs and super excited well that particular Christmas Christy had made for them Superman pajamas Superman pajamas. I mean, they looked like Superman outfits, but they were also, you could sleep in them. They were pajamas. Um, so they had, you know, the red and the blue, the red cape, and the, the S, which I know it's not really an S. Somebody's going to mention that. Um, means hope, right? Um, so they had these pajamas, and they were so excited. They opened them up, and they loved it. And they put them on, and we had... A sort of a circle in this house, you know, between like dining room, 
uh, kitchen and another room, and they were just tearing up that circle, trying to you know hit whatever speed you need to to do Superman kind of stuff. And their capes were <laughs> flapping behind them, and they were climbing up on the washer dryer and jumping off. And I mean, the joy was just palpable. And I just when I think of the delight of Christmas morning, I often think of that Christmas. But as we get older, we get a little bit more jaded to that youthful exuberance, don't we? You don't kind of you don't wake up on Christmas with that sort of same sense of, oh wow, it's Christmas. And yet we are also called to awake. To awake to wonder. To awake to joy, to awake, to love. And so what might it look like for us to wake up, not just on Christmas morning, but every moment, every day of our lives? In our text, we come across a man named Joseph. Things are working out okay for Joseph. He's engaged to be married to a young girl named Mary. And let's assume that there's some love there. Okay, and now we know that that was not necessarily the nature of the case, given the time in which all of this happened. We alluded to this last week, sort of an era in which women did not always have a choice in these things, and marriages were sometimes arranged or just kind of set up. But let's assume for the best that there was a spark between Joseph and Mary. And so for Joseph, things seem to be going according to plan plan that he has, at least for his life at this point, we'll call that plan A. So all systems are go for plan A. The wedding plans are coming along. They even have a spot for the reception. There were only two good spots in Nazareth, and they got one of them. So that they had that taken care of. Uh, And these things are complicated. But everything's coming along for plan A. Until a wrench gets thrown in. And it's a big one. She's pregnant. Well, things were not supposed to be like this. And so Joseph quickly shifts gears to a plan B. He plans to divorce her quietly. Now the text says that he wants to do this for her sake because he doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace. But you have to think it might be worse for her if he leaves her, right? And then she's alone with the child. And so really, I think plan B is for Joseph. Plan B is what's best for Joseph. But then we read that he has a dream. He has a dream. An angel shows up and says, hey, Joseph, there's more going on here than you realize. God is doing something powerful and amazing here. Stay with this thing. And we read that when Joseph woke up, He does what the angel had said. He sticks with the original plan, albeit an altered version. Maybe plan A 2.0. This wasn't what he bargained for and certainly wasn't what he asked for, yet he says yes to this unexpected thing in his life. And by so doing, he wakes up to something new and incredible and awesome. He and Mary discovered the birth of God in their midst. God arrives unexpected in their lives in a way that they could never have predicted or planned. And I wonder, 
whether or not we aren't all invited to nurture and witness and be awake to the birth of the divine in our own lives. The poet John Mark Green says, birthing is never easy or without pain, be it a universe, a child, or a fresh start in life. Contraction precedes expansion. Darkness comes before dawn. Joy follows pain. This is the way of things. So we all have our plan A's and perhaps a few other plans as well. And yet almost inevitably life offers us something else, something different. And are we able, like Joseph, to wake up and say yes? Now, the process of waking up or giving birth to something new is never easy, and the pain of that often tempts, tempts, us, tempts us to quit or just to stay asleep because it's easier. And so when plan A doesn't seem to be happening, we may find ourselves dreaming a bit, dreaming about how our life used to be. And we think back to a time when things were a certain way and things were right. Or conversely, we find ourselves thinking about how life is going to be one day. And when we just get to here, then life is going to be right. But when we find ourselves always back there or always jumping ahead to there, where aren't we? Right here. Right here. When a new disciple approached his master, he asked him, where shall I look for enlightenment? The master said, here. When will it happen? It is happening right now, said the master. Then why don't I experience it? The disciple asked. Because you do not look. What should I look for? Nothing. Just look. At what? Anything. Anything your eyes alight upon. Well, must I look in a special kind of way? No, the ordinary way will do. But don't I always look the ordinary way? I can hear the student getting exasperated. No, you don't always look the ordinary way. Well, why ever not? Because to look, you must be here. And you're mostly somewhere else. So dreams, of course, can be a good thing. I don't want you to go home and say, Pastor Brian crushed my dreams or told me not to have dreams. But if they become a sort of daydreaming that always has us in the past or in the future, it can be something that prevents us from being awake to the life that we actually have right now. In addition to dreaming, perhaps we develop unhealthy behaviors that prevent us also from experiencing our own lives. There's a man who went to the bar and ordered a drink. The bartender serves up his drink and hands it to him. And the man looks at the drink, kind of sets it aside, drums his hands on the bar a little and says, give me another. So he gets a second drink and he takes this drink and he just drinks it down. The bartender says, what gives? You've got a drink right over here. He says, well, I go to the meetings. I go to AA, and they always say it's that first drink that'll get you. 
Right? So we have strategies to self-justify our behavior, don't we? We tell ourselves we're doing something, but often our actions betray us because we're not honest with ourselves. The revered yoga master Darshan Singh says, if we would review our life for one day alone, from dawn until late at night, we would see how often we avoid our true selves. He says, spirituality is a path of truthfulness, and if we wish to progress on this path, we need to learn to truly see our own lives. So how do we do this? How do we wake up? To ourselves, so to speak. Ralph Waldo Emerson invites us, unsurprisingly, to look within. He says, every person's condition is a solution in hieroglyphic to those inquiries they would put. What? That was different. That sounded like a hieroglyphic. I'll read it again slower. It's good. Every person's condition is a solution in hieroglyphic to those inquiries they would put. In other words, what we need and are longing for is already within us. And clues to our dissatisfaction are already there if we're brave enough to look. In other words, the solution to the things we're longing for is found already in our own condition, but it's often... We have trouble reading it, right? It's a hieroglyphic. And so we need to penetrate into that. And then he says this helpful thing. He says, we act, we act it as life before we apprehend it as truth. In other words, sometimes our behaviors reveal more true things about ourselves than we are even willing to acknowledge. And so Singh and Emerson invite us to review our lives. And this is not just a selfish introspection, right? This is about self-observation where we can sort of look at things from the outside, almost as an outside observer, and look at our lives. Well, how am I right now? That's a hard thing to do because we're often so enmeshed and tied up with our Emotion with how we're feeling, with our sense of ego and sense of self. But the invitation is to step back and say, well, how am I right now? What is this anger I'm feeling or this disappointment or this joy? And when we truly awaken to our own lives, we awaken. It doesn't become... Selfish, it awakens us to an ever-expanding notion of love and of God. And this might be scary. We might have good reasons not to look, right? Because life is hard, and we're all trying to live it. And we all do things that we don't always like, and there are things that are true about us that sometimes we regret. But Tara Brock notes in this delightful quote, there is something wonderfully bold and liberating about saying yes to our entire imperfect and messy life. So we, we can just look at it even from a place of compassion, self-compassion, and really accept it. It is a beautiful thing. She goes on to say, love helps us wake up out of our self-enclosed reality and see the connectedness that's there. Because waking up always leads to a greater sense of connectedness and connection. 
and oneness with all that is. And of course the secret is we're already connected with all that is. We're already connected. We just lack the awareness of it. So I have four brief ways in which we might wake up. Or four different levels. How we might wake up as individuals, as Christians, as Americans, and as human beings. The invitation to us to wake up as individuals is to wake up to the wonder of life, to the beauty and pain and the rawness of each moment. The gift of each person, each unique being in our life is a wonder, even the ones that are hurtful and cause us pain. We need to wake up as Christians, perhaps, to our own story. And remember that the child whose birth we celebrate, this unique embodiment and expression of God, was born in poverty to a peasant family. A family that, if you keep reading the story in Matthew, in the next chapter, is soon going to be on the run, fleeing to Egypt from Herod. A family who becomes refugees because of the threat of violence. And this child who we celebrate his birth this week, as he grows, he would teach us to say, whenever you see a child or a person who is left out, who is not included, who is marginalized, who is oppressed, who is on the wrong side of power, whenever you see someone like that, you are seeing me. And as we look around at our world right now, we see that it is full of hurting and suffering Christ's. And if being a Christian means anything, right, it means caring about that. We need to wake up as Americans to the kind of presence we're being in the world. We have great privileges and resources, and how are we using them? What kind of a world are we creating for our children? Are we awake to the great pain and the fear that so many experience in our nation because of their race or their orientation or gender expression or their documented status? We need to wake up as humanity and remember that we are but one part of the greater web of life. Are we living with respect and harmony with the air, with the earth, with each creature that we share this planet with? Let us remember the words of the poet, birthing is never easy or without pain. Contraction precedes expansion. Darkness comes before dawn. Joy follows pain. This is the way of things. And that gives me hope. Because we're all experiencing some hard things. We're all experiencing some pain and some challenges. Right? We're worried about our own families. We're worried at this time, especially about our nation, about our world. And yet perhaps as we approach the beginning of a new year, it may be that something new and beautiful is just around the corner. After all, contraction precedes expansion. Darkness comes before dawn. And joy will come, but not without some pain first. 
This was true for Joseph. It was true for Mary. It was true on that first Christmas day. And it is true everywhere and every place that God is arriving in new and unexpected ways in our world. Because that is the way of things. Amen. Namaste. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.